Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 7. Last week, I ended the episode in the middle of the story of an unnamed Levite whose wife was killed by a perverse group of Benjaminites. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm kicking off with what happens next, as found in Judges chapter 19, and working through the end of the book. And with that, let's get started. As the last chapter wrapped up, the Levite had just sent a gruesome package to all of the other tribes. Along with the package was a message that read, Has such a thing ever happened since the day the Israelites came up from the land of Egypt until this day? Consider it, take counsel, and speak out. And that's how the chapter ended. Chapter 20 picks up at some point later. We're not told how much later, but it was enough time for the message and story to sink in. The chapter begins by telling us that all the Israelites came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled in one body before the Lord at Mizpah. The chiefs of all the people, of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers bearing arms. To put that in perspective, in the last chapter, it was only 600 Danite warriors that assembled to capture the city of Laish. Among these 400k, and despite what the text said earlier, that all of the Israelites came out, it apparently didn't include the Benjaminites, as were parenthetically told that the Benjaminites heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. Back at Mizpah, the assembled chiefs brought forward the husband of the murdered woman, still only identified as a Levite, with no name given. They asked him, Tell us, how did this criminal act come about? The Levite answered, I came to Jibea, that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. The lords of Jibea rose up against me and surrounded the house at night. They intended to kill me, and they... And I'm going to skip over the next part. Just know he relayed the story as it happened, except he left out the part where he threw her out of the house to the mob. The Levite wraps up the story by telling the Israelites that the men of Jibea, the Benjaminites, committed a vile outrage in Israel. He asked the assembled men to give their advice and counsel. At this point, the text says, All the people got up as one, saying, We will not any of us go to our tents, nor will any of us return to our houses. But now this is what we will do to Jibea. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand to bring provisions for the troops, who are going to repay Jibea of Benjamin for all the disgrace they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one. Essentially, 90% of the men from the other 11 tribes would attack Jibea, and the remaining 10% tasked with providing logistics. The tribes of Israel, with the obvious exception of Benjamin, sent men throughout the territory of Benjamin, telling them, What crime is this that has been committed among you? Hand over those scoundrels in Jibea, 
so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. Essentially, giving the innocent and Benjamin a way out of the mess. But the Benjaminites would not listen to their kinsfolk, meaning the other tribes. Instead, the Benjaminites came together out of the towns to Jibeah to go out to battle against the Israelites. On that day, the Benjaminites brought out 26,000 armed men from their towns, besides the inhabitants of Jibeah. This number is thought to have included no men from Jibea. Then, an additional detail that provides insight into the way the battles were fought in that day. Of all this Benjaminite force, there were 700 picked men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. In this case, it's hare as in on the top of your head, not a very fast rabbit. The assumption is that this was a very rare skill. Why it mattered that the accurate slingshotters were left-handed is a bit unknown to me, at least at this time. I'll try to figure that out before I get to that part of the deep dive. As for the Israelites, they brought 400,000 men, all described as warriors, to the battlefield, meaning they outnumbered the Benjaminites nearly 15 to 1. The amassed Israelites then asked God which group should go up to the battlefield first. The reply was to send Judah. The next morning, the Israelites got up and hiked to Jibea, where they encamped. Then the Benjaminites came out of Jibea and killed 22,000 Israelites. This was a complete surprise to the Israelites who then asked God, Shall we again draw near to battle against our kinsfolk, the Benjaminites? God told them to attack again. The Israelites gathered their courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day, meaning just outside of Jibea. Benjamin moved out against them, that day killing 18,000 armed Israelites bringing the running total to 40,000 dead Israelites so far beaten down by 26,000 Benjaminites, who suffered an unmentioned number of casualties. Not surprisingly, the Israelites were stunned and depressed at the seemingly continual routing by an inferior force. Surprising, except maybe for those left-handed slingshotters. The text relays that all the Israelites, the whole army, went back to Bethel and wept, sitting there before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening. Then they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices of well-being before the Lord. After this, they asked God, Shall we go out once more to battle against our kinsfolk, the Benjaminites, or shall we desist? The Lord answered, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. We're reminded that the Ark of the Covenant of God was in those days in Bethel, with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron, ministering before it at that time. After the affirmative answer, the army of the Israelites positioned men waiting in ambush around Jibea. On the third day, the Israelites went up against the Benjaminites, taking their positions as they had done the previous days. On that day, and for reasons unexplained, when the Benjaminites went out against the Israelite army, they were drawn away from the city. 
As had happened before, the Benjaminites began to kill the Israelites, with several details given. The attacks were along the main roads, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Jibea, as well as in the open country. In all, only about 30 Israelites were killed. Not to minimize those deaths, but it was magnitudes less than the previous couple of days. The Benjaminites misinterpreted the data, saying, They are being routed before us, as before. But the Israelites said, Let us retreat and draw them away from the city towards the roads. A tactical retreat. Brilliant. Drawing Benjamin's main force from their defensive position. The main body of the Israelites drew back in its battle line to Baal Tamar, while those Israelites who were in ambush rushed out of their place west of Jibea. At that point, some 10,000 of Israel's best warriors came out against Jibea, engaging in a battle described as fierce. Then, a bit of foreshadowing. The Benjaminites did not realize that disaster was close upon them. There's no description of the rest of the battle, with only a summary provided. 25,100 armed Benjaminites were killed that day. And remember, their entire force was only 26,000, leaving 900, of which some may have been lost in the prior battles, but we're not told specifically what happened to them. At this point, the Benjaminites, at least what remained of them, realized the battle was lost. The chapter ends with a more comprehensive summary of the action. The Israelites gave ground to Benjamin because they had faith in the hand-picked troops that lay in ambush against Jibea. All of that meaning that the tactical retreat was more of a feint. When the time was right, the troops in ambush rushed quickly upon Jibea. Then they put the whole city to the sword. The advanced troops, the hand-picked 10,000, would send up a smoke cloud out of the city of Jibea. It was before this cloud was set that the 30 Israelites were killed by the advancing Benjaminites. For whatever reason, the Benjaminites thought the death of the 30 was a sure signal that the third day was going in their favor, as the previous battles had. Then came the smoke. When the cloud of smoke, further described as a column, began to rise out of the city, the Benjaminites looked behind them. They saw, in the words of the text, the whole city going up in smoke toward the sky, complete with an exclamation mark. When the Israelites saw the smoke column, they stuck to their plan, stopping the feint and turning their superior numbers towards the Benjaminites. Almost immediately, the sons of Benjamin realized the trap had been set and there was little chance of escape. Dismayed. That's how the text describes them. They were caught between superior forces. Their city of Jibea was burning, and they were vastly outnumbered by Israelites coming from the other direction. So they chose what was likely their only viable option, and it wasn't that great. They turned towards the wilderness. But they weren't quick enough, with the allied Israelite forces promptly catching up to them. On one side was the mass of Israelites, and the other the smaller hand-chosen force that had set the city afire. 
with the text saying the Benjaminites were being slaughtered in between. But they kept running. The Israelites pursued their perverse brethren from Noah, setting the footnote to be their resting place, and crushed them as far as an unnamed place east of Jibea. Then there's something unexpected in the text. By that point, 18,000 Benjaminites had been killed, all described as courageous fighters. This was before they fled towards the wilderness. As they turned and ran towards the wilderness, specifically to the Rock of Rilmen, another 5,000 were cut down on the main roads, taking the running total of dead Benjaminites to 23,000. Their next intended destination was Gidom, where 2,000 were slain, new total of 25,000, all of them falling on the day of the battle, all described as being armed and courageous fighters. 600 did make it to the Rock of Rimen, located in the wilderness. They would remain at the rock for four months, setting us up for something later in the Old Testament narrative. We won't have to wait long for that bit of history. While they were hiding, the allied Israelites turned back from their pursuit and killed the remaining Benjaminites, and not just their people, but also their livestock. Their cities were burned, everything destroyed. All due to the crime of a few and the failure of the tribe to hand over the perps. If you take a minute and consider what had just unfolded, you'll come up against the question of whatever happened to the Benjaminites. Fortunately, and unlike much of the rest of the Old Testament narrative, this question is immediately and directly addressed. That part of the story begins on a down note. The Israelites had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Then the people came to Bethel and sat there until evening before God, meaning the ark, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly, maybe even gnashed their teeth. They said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has it come to pass that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? The next day the people got up early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and sacrifices of well-being. Then they said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For a solemn oath had been taken concerning whoever did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, That one shall be put to death. Still the Israelites had compassion for Benjamin, their kin, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters as wives? Their oath had placed them in a quandary against their compassion. Then they said, Is there anyone from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah? They searched their memory, looking for a loophole until someone recalled that no one from Jabesh-Gilead had come up to the camp, to the assembly, and therefore had not taken the oath. They took the roll, and sure enough, no one from that city was there. This place was east of the Jordan, likely in the territory of Manasseh. So, what to do? They did what they did best. Violence. 
the congregation sent 12,000 soldiers to the city and ordered the troops to go put the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead to the sword, including the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male you shall kill, unfortunately in keeping with their last oath. They then captured 400 young women who had never been with a man and brought them back to the camp at Shiloh, which was described as being in the land of Canaan. You should know where this is going. Then the whole congregation sent a message to the Benjaminites who were hiding in the wilderness at the Rock of Rimen and proclaimed that the conflict was over, that they could come out from there and live among the Israelites in peace. The few hundred remaining Benjaminites took them up on the offer and returned to the land of the living. It's said that Israel gave them the captured women. Think about that for a minute. A sign of the times. For reasons unexplained, it's recorded that the Benjaminites weren't satisfied with the women brought to them. After all, there were 600 men at the rock, and only 400 women had been brought to them. The other Israelite tribes remained compassionate towards them, and set about formulating an additional plan. In a part of the text that seems extremely redundant, the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since there are no women left in Benjamin? They formulated an answer. There must be heirs for the survivors of Benjamin, in order that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. Yet, we cannot give any of our daughters to them as wives, as the earlier oath was repeated. Then, a new idea was formulated. They said, Look, the yearly festival of the Lord is taking place at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Labinah. Then, they instructed the Benjaminites, saying, Go and lie in wait in the vineyards, and watch. When the young women of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards, and each of you carry off a wife for himself from the young women of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. Then, if their fathers or brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Be generous and allow us to have them, because we did not capture in battle a wife for each man but neither did you incur guilt by giving your daughters to them. Another loophole. And another courtship ritual that's a bit hard to fathom. The Benjaminites apparently agreed with this plan, taking wives for each of them from the kidnapped. Then they went and returned to their territory, rebuilt the towns, and lived in them. After this, the Israelites departed from there and went home to their various assigned territories. This chapter in the book of Judges wraps up with a passage I've mentioned in an earlier episode. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes, all pointing towards the future. And that's the summary of the book of Judges. I realize I'm wrapping this episode a bit sooner than usual, but this is a good stopping point. Also, in this part is usually completely invisible to the listener, but this week, my professional and personal life has been quite hectic. 
where I used to travel extensively for work, spending over 150 nights in hotels in 2019. Since the onset of the pandemic, my work and personal travel has been reduced to near zero. In fact, in the past year, I've spent maybe 10 nights in hotels. That's about to change. Just last week, I was in four different airports spending the better part of the week in Wisconsin, which is a ways away from my home. I got behind, and this week I'm trying to catch up. So I'm about 400 words short of my weekly goal. So it goes sometimes. Join me next week when I'll circle back to the history found in the book of Judges. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.